This is Retails, Conversations with Profit Protection, the podcast that talks direct with retailers about all things loss prevention, with your host, Nicole Smith. Did you know that the Profit Protection Future Forum is the only not-for-profit industry body promoting the interests of retail loss prevention professionals in Australia and New Zealand? Hi there and welcome to the show. Today I am joined by PPFF committee member, Professor Michael Townsley from Griffith University. Michael, it's so good talking with you. Welcome back to the podcast and thanks for joining me today. G'day, Nicole. Really good to be back. I am super excited to announce that this year, Michael will be conducting research for the 2022 Australia-New Zealand Retail Crime Report. So this was done pre-pandemic in 2019 by Dr. Emmeline Taylor, um, who most of our listeners probably would have met over their journey, their loss prevention journey and PPFF journey. So given that a lot has happened and some things haven't happened with stores closing down for long periods of time. I really anticipate that the data is going to be quite interesting um, when, when once it's all compiled. So Michael, let's start by just doing a bit of an overview and purpose for the retail crime study. Yep, no worries. So as you said, um, the uh, first and last ANZ retail crime study was conducted in 2019. Um, it, in fact, was a, uh, an update or heavily based on the global theft barometer, which was last done, I think, in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, the ANZ Retail Crime Study is, is, uh, is unique in that it focuses exclusively on Australia and New Zealand, whereas the global uh, theft barometer, the, the clue's in the name, it's international, and we're not able to kind of drill down into some of the more, I mean, there is a regional breakout, yep. but, um, but the advantage of having our own study is that we're able to... Um, ask more questions that are relevant to our um, our context. So it, w- it represented the first comprehensive overview of um, the state of fares and retail crime in Australia and New Zealand. So the aim of um, the 2022 one is really to replicate that and then to update um, uh, some questions for things that have happened um, in the intervening years and spoiler alert, a, a lot's happened. So, um, so we've actually got really? a lot of material. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what's happened in the last couple of oh, years? I look, um, I don't recall anything. Yeah. You, you, you have to wait for the survey. Um, so, so just the last thing on the survey is there's um it's, it's, int- it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a unique approach. It's called a multi-methods approach where we take a, a bunch of different data sources and triangulate mm-hmm. to get it to get a holistic view. So we have a, a, an online survey where people are, are completing things about um, their loss um, understanding and their experience in, the, in, the, um, in their organization. We have one-on-one interviews to do deep dives on particular sectors and categories. And then we also incorporate police recorded crime. And that's okay. really important because that's kind of what makes it through to the criminal justice system. Um, it's always going to be a subset of the entire um, crime landscape but it is really important to sort of see you know what 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 does what does the criminal justice system see as the magnitude of crime in the retail space that's really important because you know a lot of loss prevention managers are obviously dealing with uh, things that don't make it through they might be preventing incidents there might be things that aren't reported for for a whole host of reasons so those three data sources are, 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 are a comprehensive online survey 
one-on-one -on -one interviews and then recorded crime is is the um, the collection of data that we use and we triangulate across them to get sort of a, a, a larger picture. So Michael, given that um, we have state laws with um, as far as policing goes, how does that work? Is it is it a general rule of thumb that it's pretty much the same across the different states and territories or will you be interviewing people or police from different states and territories? Um, the I have on my slate to interview police that are dealing specifically with retail crime, but the Australian Bureau of Stats has a, um, I'll get the, 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 I won't get the exact name, but it's a crime classification index and it mm -hmm. effectively has consistent definitions of crime types. And then each police agency has to categorize um, incidents according to, so, you know, the legislation of the state, but then yep. they have to do a second classification according to ABS. Okay. And, and, and so if you have a look at the ABS uh, website, they, you can drill down and look at their official stats for um, theft from a store. That's part of retail crimes. That's one thing. But then a lot of the different states have their own um, statistics on websites and you can, you, can, you can get them. So, yeah, there'll be a little bit of difference. Um, but I, I think broadly speaking, it'll be a pretty consistent um, okay. definition. Okay. So recently, I think it was last week, you got um, or received ethical clearance from Griffith University for this study. What does that mean for the respondents? Yeah. So um, there's, uh, uh, it's really easy. So there's a, there's a joke that I'll, I'll just make up about um, how can you tell if an academic's got ethical clearance? Um, don't worry, they'll quickly tell you. Um, <laughs> in 2007, um, there was a um, Australian university signed up to uh, the national stand statement on, on ethical conduct in human research. And what, what this basically means, it, it sets out what are, what are the parameters for how researchers behave ethically when they're conducting research. And there's been some horrible um, uh, practices in the past. Um, I mean, hor horrible as in you know, actually doing harm to people where, where, where people are being experimented on, like in sort of medical um, mm -hmm. context, but um, also some, some um, sort of early developmental um, work, you know, like um, early childhood experiences. The sort of the second um, thing that uh, is quite galling is that often the people that are participating in research aren't actually given full information about the study, how their information will be used. And, and what's really quite uh, shameful is often given no feedback as to the outcome of, of the study. So researchers will do a lot of work recruiting people in. And then as soon as we get your data, um, f forget about it. Like you're, you won't you're out of there. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so what, um, so what, what the um, human ethics research is really about setting out what is the expected standards and then all universities sign up to that. And then within universities, we have um, essentially a process that ensures that research is conducted um, into that. So what it really means for an academic is that we have to, before we start the research, kind of set out what we're intending to do, to whom, why, and then what we're going to do with that information. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and then, so that's what it means for academics. Now getting to the participants, what it really, all of that boils down to informed consent. So if I'm trying to recruit you into a, a study, Nicole, I, I have to t spell out, and it has to be accurate, um, 
what sort of questions I'm going to ask, if it's going to be an interview or a questionnaire, what are the sorts of questions that you're going to be expected to ask? Um, what happens to the information that you provide? Am I going to keep that in a secure um, repository? Will uh, How large is the research team that I've got? If a random academic from another university says, hey, Mike, I've heard about that great research. Can I have that data? Am I going to give it to them? Um, how the research will be communicated? Am I going to... Um, and in what format? So am I going to go to conference presentations? Will I write reports? Uh, how will I identify people? Will people be de-identified or will they be named, et cetera? Mm -hmm. What the benefits are to you is really important. And then, uh, and then lastly is, uh, can you opt out of the research? And so what I have to do is produce an information sheet for participants that they can review. And it spells out all of that in quite, um, quite uh, you know, in a, in a detailed way. Um, the other thing that is um, is important is just a point of contact for more information. So it's got my contact details. So people are interested in the survey but just want more information. There's a way of communicating with me. And then there's if there's um, if people feel that there's concerns around the way the research is conducted, there's a way of there's a recourse to the university ethics committee that mm -hmm. they can go directly to them and raise their concerns. So if there's anything untoward that that a researcher was doing. So okay. that's that's in a nutshell. Um, the benefit, I think, for um, for the sorts of study that we're doing here is that it spells out explicitly, uh, we aren't after any um, identifiable information. We don't need to know what organisation people are working for. Mm -hmm. we, 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 and we'll get into the questions in a second, I think, but we just really need to know the, the size, the category, the sector um, of people's organisation, but we don't need to know it's, you know, um, XYZ store. Um, there's no, there's no um, uh, sensitive commercial information being asked, mm -hmm. um, and we spell out what the roughly what the questions are, uh, so people can make a um, an informed choice about that. Uh, importantly, if for this study, if people feel at any point that they uh, don't want to don't want to answer any questions, they're able to skip questions, and if they want to leave the survey, they are able to. And there's no um, consequence there won't be any follow-up okay perfect I think that gives people a bit of peace of mind then because it's important that and you know I, um, I guess the the brand would be nice but it's important that we get a variety of different vertical markets yeah. just to see what's going on in different you know are the problems the same in different vertical markets who knows but and I'm, I'm hoping the research tells us that yeah, so we we one of the questions that we get into is um, you know what uh, what what type of retail um, and we, we have we have all the categories. So we will be you know seeking and soliciting people from different categories. You know if we find that we've ex you know had quite high uh, representation in the hardware sector, but very little in telcos, then obviously we're going to sort of uh, prospectively recruit in the in the telco sector. So we'll be doing regular reviews you know every week looking at uh, what the survey respondents are um, mm -hmm. but we don't really need to know if it's some um, jb or bunnings or or, or whatever we, we'll have a pretty good idea of what penetration we've got just by the volume of sales that people are saying that their organization represents okay perfect so what's been updated in the paper um yeah. as far as the the topics or so, information so so um it, it's important just to look at what what stayed in so the sorts of things that we're interested and these these are questions that were in um, 
in the last one. And it's important to kind of keep some in because you want to track over time, right? Yeah. So it's information about your organization. As, as I was saying, you know, the size, the scope, what, what's the category of the organization? Um, there's a whole bunch of questions about shrinkage and, and retail crime. So looking at um, the different types of loss that um, uh, the organization um, encounters, what are the hot products, uh, the most common methods of theft, um, and a, a bit about their, their sort of average offender, average in air quotes for, for the viewers at home. Uh, we're also looking at violence and abuse, which um, really in the last report didn't feature prominently, but I think is going to is going to be a far more uh, prominent um, or recognised issue um, for you know all the various um, pressures that customers have been under, but also also um, uh, um, uh, people working in in retail. Yep. Uh, fraud, we're looking at volume and the types of fraud. Uh, cyber attacks, that's another one that probably um, may not have received a lot of coverage in the last one, but I think, you know, we've had a massive um, acceleration of attacks on, on retail. So I think cyber is, is going to be another big one. Um, some information about security solutions. So what, what do people have in, in store to, to protect their inventory? Um, and the last one is just around what, what, LP managers see as the most likely threats that their organization is facing in the next two to three years and their relationship with law enforcement. So that's what that's what largely was in last last year, uh, the last one in 2019. The new section is all about COVID. Um, so what's the operational? Um, oh, yeah. Um, so COVID was COVID? this little what, thing. What's that? <laughs> yeah, in, in 2020, it occupied us a lot. Of, you might, might have to jog your memory. So this is really, you know, it's amazing, actually, when you think. Uh, so we've had public health directives that have fundamentally um, uh, impacted the op op operating practices of, org of organizations. Um, we've had to um, implement a whole range of measures and then police them that, you know, in 2019, we wouldn't have even thought that uh, we couldn't have imagined that we would be dealing with those things. Uh, and then, of course, there's a whole range of disruptions to um, our workforces. Um, and then customers have had to respond to both of those things. So there's been, you know, panic buying, a lot more customer on customer regression. So these are all the things that we're sort of interested in how LP managers are, have navigated that and then what they're sort of, um, what they're imagining their, in the short-term horizon might look like. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that many organisations have undergone restructures. So what's that look like for them? And then how's that likely to influence their sort of strategies um, and policies moving forward? I guess the, the, the big question is, why is it important to participate in this survey for our, our loss prevention managers? And I know um, after speaking to some of our committee members, they've said they use this type of data when they're writing business cases mm. for different technologies or, um, you know, different solutions that they're trying to get on board. But why, as an academic, like why, why is it important for people to participate in the survey? Not for the ethics. This doesn't appear in any of the informed consent. But um, if you do participate in this survey, you will be seen as more attractive to um, members of the opposite sex or the same sex, um, and and you'll you'll have a wonderful life. Um, <laughs> but 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 what um, I think there's there's two reasons. The first is cross sectional. So this is going to allow us to ha to have a moment in time understand the retail crime landscape and understand what different businesses their operations are, what the solutions that they have in store. Um, and, and that's really important for benchmarking. So if you can see that 
like you, you know, as a, as a LP manager, what you have in store. Um, if you can see that a lot of your contemporaries in the same sector have a very different solution mix, then I think that that's really informative. And I think that, um, I mean, that can be, that can be um, alarming or it can be um, uh, affirming. Like it's, it's not necessarily, it's just information. I think it's valuable cross-sector intelligence that LP managers can directly put into um, practice. So I think it's about that. The first first reason this cross-sectional is about providing a baseline for you against your peers. Um, the second reason is longitudinal. So we we know that the last four years have been incredibly disruptive, and it's it's been you know, really competitive, um, and and, it, and it's and we've had to sort of pivot um, very rapidly. But it is important for us to see over a a time horizon, how trends have changed. Um, so we've got we've got snapshots for the global theft um, barometer, and we and we've got one for 2019. So this is just updating that, and we'll be able to compare um, values, percentages, proportions over time, just to see what the direction of the of the sector is going. And um, you know, it I think it it even if you're really dialed in, it's it can be. It is often illuminating to have a look at the arc of time in yep. your sector, even if you really know the sector well. I think that I think there's always something to be learned from just comparing yourself in the past, but also yourself against your peers in the past. Plus, it takes the emotion out of it as well because you're just looking at data. So rather than the the old oh, you know, I think. I think our, our my contemporaries are doing this or our competitors are doing that. You've actually got data that says, yes, they are. You know, they're ahead of the, the game. They're, you know, they're doing all this stuff with technology and we're not so. A hundred percent. And in fact, even just with yourself, there is so much of your knowledge about how you're performing, how your team is performing, how your organization is performing that's, that largely resides in your skull. It's all tacit. Yep. And surveys like this are great. I mean, we've tried to make it as comprehensive as possible, um, but it might prompt you to actually reflect, you know, what are we really doing about cyber? Like, what is my understanding about the likely cyber attacks against my organisation? And mm. I think it's that sort of reflective practice, which, um, you know, the survey might be great, the results you might get a lot out of, but actually even the questions might prompt you to actually maybe we need to rethink our approach on on, on, on problem X. Yep, I agree. So how can our loss prevention managers participate in the survey? So it's a good question. And I, I should have mentioned this at the start is that um, the survey we're really after uh, loss prevention managers. So we're after our, our person per organization to, to participate. So um, I, I should have flagged that at the start. So um, if we have multiple people for each organization, we'll double count and then <laughs> And then the loss, the loss amount will be six billion, not, not three billion. <laughs> which we probably don't. Well, maybe maybe that would be useful. Um, members of the PPFF, if you've signed up, um, we are going to be emailing people um, and saying, "Hey, can you please participate in this?" Um, we will be using the contact details that we have on our uh, mailing list. So um, just a action for people: if you've changed jobs or changed. Um, your details are changed. It would be great if you could check that and uh, and uh, and let us know, so we'd get the most accurate um, uh, contact details. That email will have a link to the online survey. Um, that link will be unique to each person, and that's um, 
it's not to track people. It means that you'll be able to complete part of the survey, leave it, and then come back, and your your information will be um, preserved at the same form. Um, so it's really important that you don't pass on the link to someone else because uh, that's gonna that's gonna muck up the survey. Um, uh, the next thing we're going to be doing is advertising on LinkedIn, just as a as a um, as a call to arms. Um, I'll also be writing to the retail associations to be getting their members to promote the survey. Um, so there might be, you know, coming from top down to loss prevention managers, and and LinkedIn and PPF is sort of bottom up, getting to um, getting to the loss prevention managers. Perfect. And the housekeeping, how long is it going to take these? Oh, uh, yeah. So LPMs so, to complete. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one, right? Like we want to be comprehensive, but we don't want to have um, survey fatigue. The 2019 was estimated at 30 minutes. So uh, I don't know what people think about that, but that's actually kind of on the short side. Um, a lot of surveys are, are north of that. With the extra questions, we're estimating about 40 minutes. So we're trying, I'm trying really hard to, um, to keep it tight. The survey itself is largely multiple choice. So people should be able to, answer quickly there's there's very little free text in there um uh so you should be able to get through pretty quickly um but 40 minutes is what we what we think it will take and and just as a as a further inducement we're trying to do this every two years and obviously um stuff happened in the intervening years so so really you haven't had to do it for for two years so it's only half the amount of time (laughs) effectively (laughs) and what are the time frames from when is the survey coming out? It's a couple so of weeks. We, we should be coming out next week, fingers crossed. So I don't know when this episode will drop, but... Um, this will drop in two days' time, Thursday. Okay. All right. All right. So I reckon next week we'll start smashing uh, LinkedIn and our mailing list. Mm-hmm. Um, we're aiming for a um, like a late October, early November kind of um, sort of first draft, sort of starting to starting to promote the results. Um off the the choke point there is really going to be people responding to the survey. So if we get if we get rapid uptake and people filling it out very quickly, then we'll be able to actually get that out. Um, you know, early October. You know, oh, it'd be awesome if it was in September. But um, but you know, one of the things is I'm sure there's going to be some categories that are a bit lagging and we'll be sort of chasing up. So we're aiming we're aiming for late October, early November for the results to come out. Okay. And Michael, we probably covered this a little bit before, but as an academic, why is it important um, to have ongoing research and updating information for white papers? I think that, um, you know, as I was saying before, it's really important to have these surveys that are sort of cross-sector. You know, like if I'm if I'm working with, um, you know, a, a major retailer and we look at the loss in that organisation, that's, we can do a really good piece of work for, uh, you know, a business, but you know, it's very rare to get something that's that, that genuinely goes across the sector to have a look at the at the entire footprint of retail crime. And as you would know, you know there are groups that are aren't just targeting a single single organisation. They're t- they're targeting multiple organisations. So you know, it's really difficult to get yeah, a handle on the entire footprint of retail crime. So that's why these sorts of studies are really important. And then to keep the questions largely the same, you know updating some but largely the same so we can see what the trends are over time i just mm-hmm. think is invaluable just so that loss prevention managers are kind of aware of what's going on outside their organization it's so hard one of the biggest difficult the hardest things is being a leader is having that 
being able to switch between strategic and tactical. And it is so easy to just stay in tactical land, Yep. you know, 24-7. Yeah. The, these sorts of products, uh, studies, allow us, it, it, allow, it gives you a perspective on what's happening um, in other organisations and therefore it, pr- it will prompt you to think strategically, I think. Yeah. And as I said before, a lot of the loss prevention managers that I know use this type of data when they're writing business cases, because once again, it takes that emotion away from mm. it to say, mm. oh, I think we need, I think we need this technology. I think we need this solution to no, our competitors have it. We need to have it. And so it just takes that emotion away and they can put, use that data in a um, business case yep. that goes to upper management. Like if you think about, I was just sort of reflecting about, you know, your perspective. You want the widest possible perspective as possible if you're making a business case, right? And just like if the analogy of a glass bottom boat, if you're if you're in a glass bottom boat and you're looking down at the ocean floor, and, oh wow, isn't that interesting? But that's in no way indicative of what the entire coral reef is going to look like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's interesting. Like that that sort of um, narrow focus is great sometimes, but you do need to take a step back. And it's these sorts of reports that uh, allow you to do it. But it, you know, the, the, the linchpin is, is, you know, cross genuine cross sector participation, like we really, really need that. Um, And if we don't have that, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be difficult to get sort of a comprehensive view. Absolutely. Michael, we've reached the final countdown, your last three questions. I'm going to do something different with you today. And I want you to finish the sentence for me. So the first one is, you'd never know this about me, but I. But I, um, I, um, I am a mad keen uh, cocktail maker. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got, um, I've spent like too much money on barware. Like I've got all these jiggers and the, the, the bar spoons and mixes and it's, it's crazy. And you know what, like any sort of hobby, you can just go deep on like, you know, I've, I looked at getting an ice machine, like a a professional (laughs) ice machine. Yeah. 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 So here's the thing, like within um, chefs are all about heat. Like chefs basically need heat to cook. Right. Well, um, um, mixologists, it's all about um, cool. You're, yep. you, you, are, you are chilling liquid effectively. Yep. So ice is really important. And I don't want to tell you, you can spend like <laughs> an obscene amount of money getting on ice machines. It's a, it's a bit nuts. The uh, Townsley barbecues must be fantastic then. Well, you're behind I, the bar. I, I, I am trying to combine um, bar- barbecuing and cocktails into one sort of mix. I've got to say, I've got to say it's a fine line because if, I've noticed that if I don't get into the cocktails, um, the barbecue results are actually quite good, quite palatable. <laughs> but if, if I if if I veer to the cocktails too much, I, I'm not cooking those steaks very well. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what the connection is. No, I don't. Can't understand why that would happen. <laughs> Michael, the best thing about lecturing in criminology is so the best thing about criminology full stop is that crime is always evolving um there are new ways of of committing crimes and offenders are in this arms race against the preventers whether that's law enforcement or loss prevention managers so i find criminology fascinating because it's never static Mm -hmm. the wonderful thing about teaching criminology is that many of the problems that we're dealing with um young people are um either are exposed to crime risk more than any other group really. So talking to our students about different crime types is illuminating. And that is, that is a, um, 
uh, information source that is just so valuable. I remember doing an exercise in class around dr- drink spiking at mm-hmm. nightclubs. Oh, yeah. how, how would we prevent this? And um, the students were awesome. Like they knew way more about this problem than I did. Um, what, you're, you're not at nightclubs anymore? Believe it or not, I'm finding it hard. Um, do you know it doesn't really kick off until like after 10? Like, oh, no, I'm in bed by then. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, look, uh, the, the great thing about teaching it is that uh, young people are um, they're in jobs that they're exposed to a lot of crime risk or they've got lifestyles where they're, where they're, where they're engaged in risky behaviour, in air quotes. Um, so they actually know quite a lot about crime. And it's really it's just a wonderful kind of um, sort of ground truth, I think, for um, just improving your knowledge about uh, crime. Okay. And lastly... The future of retail theft in Australia and New Zealand is? I um, I probably answer a ver- version of this question the same. Um, so if people have heard me say this, I apologise. I think it's all about technology. I think technology, we're slowly, it's slowly dawning on us that technology is reshaping society. I think technology is a amoral force for allowing people to do things more efficiently and it's amoral in that often that's good you know if we're getting more and more sort of uh robotics into our um businesses like that's great it it, it they're, they're cheaper more reliable rah 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 but it technology also allows offenders to do things at scale that they haven't traditionally been available so my my forecast is that i think retailers if they're not already thinking this they're going to become technology companies Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting. I, I happen to uh, be listening to a podcast on the origins of Walmart, and um, one thing I learned was Walmart has um, has essentially invented a whole range of things that we just take as commonplace now in retail. It's quite interesting. But one of the things that Sam Walton did was he was fascinated with technology and computers and essentially turned Walmart into a technology company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the first store to have. Uh, their own satellite network that allowed their stores to communicate with each other. Um, like just amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I think, I think technology is something that um, loss prevention managers are going to really need to understand, not like circuitry or, you know, being able to program with APIs or anything, but I think really understanding the opportunities that technology affords to them, um, the ways it can protect the organization, but also the opportunities that it provides uh, offenders. Um, I really, really think the theme for the next five years is going to be sort of tech disruption. Okay. Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Michael, I do love talking to you. I could talk to you all day. It's fascinating, um, the world of criminology and, and what you, you do. Um, so thanks so much for your time today. And we would encourage all of our loss prevention managers in Australia and New Zealand to take the time and complete the survey that is going to be coming out. Having those different perspectives of retail crime from different vertical markets will only make that data far more interesting for everyone, I think. So, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, let's get on it. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with Michael, you can find him on LinkedIn and we'll put Michael's contact details in the show notes. You can subscribe to this weekly podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts and Spotify. And there's a link to download download episodes and show notes on the PPFF website. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the Profit Protection Future Forum. It's written by myself, Nicole Smith, and produced by Darren Chave. Uh, Remember to save the date for October the 19th for our first face-to-face PPEF 
PPFF meeting since 2019. And uh, fingers crossed, Michael will, will be able to give us an update on the paper and uh, it won't be far off being published. Um, also, if you would like to ask us a question regarding anything about loss prevention, we have many different uh, people on our committee and people that we refer to uh, that if you're wanting to ask a question about loss prevention, if you're new to the industry and need some information, send us an email at info at profitprotection.co and we will answer it live on air at our next recording. Uh, I think that's about it for me and Michael. So I will be back next week to keep talking all things profit protection. Thanks for listening to Retails, Conversations with Profit Protection. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe via iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to find out more about the Profit Protection Future Forum, head to ProfitProtection.co or find us on LinkedIn. Drop us a message on info at ProfitProtection.co with feedback on our show.